Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode. This one we recorded in Adelaide at the Wheat Sheaf Hotel with Jade from the, the Wheat Sheaf and the Wheaty Brewing Corps, the brew pub arm of, of the hotel. We loved hanging out at the Wheaty, as, you, as you're probably going to hear. Um, also, while, while we were in Adelaide, we got to Big Shed Brewing and had a bit of a chat to them. Uh, we didn't record a chat with them, but we had a couple of beers and an impromptu visit, but really enjoyed it. We had a couple of their Gabs beers, uh, the Berry Ripe Porter and the Golden Gay Time. Uh, what is it called? Golden Stout Time, Golden Shed Time. Both really good for those kind of beers. I don't think either Dave and I are huge fans of those sort of sweet dessert beers. And yeah, they were they were delicious. So really enjoyed. And I really enjoyed their IPA, which I'd had in the past. And I don't remember being a huge fan of it. Uh, but but yeah, they've, they've tweaked a few things and it was tasting really good. We also got out to Pirate Life and, and hung out with them for a little bit. Again, didn't get a chance to record it, but they've got some uh, interesting news in the works. I'm not sure if we're allowed to announce anything yet, so we'll sit tight on that. But if you're not already excited about what they're doing in Adelaide, then uh, sit tight and you, you'll probably be excited pretty soon. Uh, we'll hopefully be able to record a podcast with them sometime soon. Uh, Adelaide as a whole, we had a great time. We're at a digital media conference. For those people on social media, you, w- you would have seen this already. But... Uh, yeah, we, we spoke about the podcast at a digital media conf- conference with all sorts of, of people from around the world. We thought we were a little bit out of place, but uh, we had a ball sharing the story of the podcast, successes and failures. So yeah, a lot of fun. Enjoy this episode. Uh, there won't be an outro or anything. Uh, it's just 40 minutes of, of us chatting to Jade. And yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting chat. And we, we, as I said, we really enjoyed it. Welcome to Adelaide, Dave. We are on, yes. How are you? Good. Um, I can finally come to an Australian city and say dance and fancy. And Castlemaine. And Castlemaine yeah. and not feel harangued. Yeah. It's not saying dance. Bloody Australian. When we were in the cab and I mentioned Prancing Pony and the guy's like, oh yeah, Prancing Pony, I know about them. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. We're over in uh, SA. Yeah. <laughs> now we're at the uh, the Wheat Sheaf, affectionately known as the Wheaty, affectionately known by a lot of people that we know as being the best, best pub in Australia. Country, yep. um, and we're lucky enough to be with the owner, Jade. Jade, how's it going? Very well, very well. And happy to say that we do dance rather than dance. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We speak proper. I know, right? It what makes is what's such the rest a of the country here? Well, they think we're all English or some such. Couldn't be further from the truth. No, but, but, even, if that's, but even if it is, like, English is the language, why don't we, like, accept that more? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand. All right, let's move on from the uh, the linguistics of Australia. Yeah, sitting here at the Weedy, one of Australia's best pubs, one of my favourite pubs. It's only the second time I've been here, and the first time I got a free pizza and a free beer. So what a result! Can't go wrong. Yeah. Um, and also, we should full disclosure. False advertising, just quietly. <laughs> you're not. You're not even <laughs> thinking that. Yeah. I was completely lucky to get yeah. both those things. Um, also, our, our website sponsor, uh, one of the the only people to jump on and say. We'll support we you guys. Support. So big thanks yeah. to you, Jade, uh, on microphone. No, absolute pleasure. I think the, the the beer scene is a better place with with guys like you in it. I think awesome. the more sort of open and uh, and, and better know, looking entertaining. as well. Yeah. Oh, faces for radio. Yes. You know? yeah. 
Now, for those that might not know um, what the Weedy is, can you give us a short summary of, of uh, about this pub? Sure, old, old school pub. So um, when Liz Trotty and myself took over the Wheaties 13 years ago, it was probably best described as a, an affectionately regarded shambles. So it was an old school pub, no pokies, which was a rare thing in Adelaide in those days, so 13 years ago. Uh, it was a live music venue, which was always really important for us in terms of a pub that we'd be interested in running, uh, and had two beers on tap, West End Draft and Cooper's Pale. And that was it, and a, and a fridge full of UDLs and, and, and bad cider. Uh, we were pretty keen uh, to introduce some serious booze into the place, primarily beer from my perspective, um, completely overhaul the, the, the beer dispensing system. And Where did that come from, your, your love of beer? Always been fond of the old Cooper Stout, so it, it, from well before I could legally drink, was always keen on, on a couple of little Cooper Stouts from grandparents and so on. Um, love Stout, love whiskey. Worked uh, throughout my adult life in pubs and, again, Cooper's pubs, uh, non-pokey pubs. Uh, the Exeter was the, was the first one of note and loved, loved a good stout. Um, then went overseas. Um, Trotty and I went overseas 15, around 15, 16 years ago and, of course, US. Uh, and in a nutshell, Alaskan smoked porter changed my life. You know, after, after trying that beer, I just thought, wow, this is, this is what beer can be and do. I had been to Europe um, many years before, but I was, I was a kid, you know, 18, 19, and even though I'd drunk Berlin of Ice and, and Kolsch and all those kind of beers and enjoyed them, it wasn't really a, you know, a, a passion of mine at that time. Um, then being in, in San Francisco, naturally started trying hoppy beers and initially thought they were completely ridiculous and undrinkable. Um, then came around to that idea pretty quickly and then the rest, it, basically within the first two days of a six-month trip, that completely turned the whole point of that six-month trip on its head and it became about beer within two days, whereas previously it had been about other stuff, so just travelling. Um, and then no looking back. And then it, 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 we'd come from a position of... Um, three of us wanting to, to own and run our own pub, to this is, at least from my perspective, going to be the focus of what I want to do and get some of this kind of beer into our kind of pub and, and, and bring all those threads together. You know. So when you opened the doors, what was your like dream tap list? It was 13 years ago. What was available that you wanted to put on? A uh, well, dream tap list would have included a lot of those American beers that, sure. I, that I tried, okay. which are clearly unavailable. Okay, dream um, available <laughs> tap list. Yeah, yeah. The, the realist's yeah. tap list. Um, well, Little Creatures and Mountain Goat, really, and James Squire. So it, it included a bit of Coopers. So we replaced those 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 two taps. We knew the, the, the regulars, the few regulars that there were, by the fact they'd never drink anything off tap because they're... they're the, the beer dispensing system was a, was a disgrace. It was the previous publican um, who had his, had, had his quirks and he thought about uh, putting in a refrigerated uh, cold room and insulated the space downstairs and then lost interest. So you didn't actually put in the refrigeration, just the insulation. Uh, there are also two great big compressors down there and a post-mix compressor. So it's generating a hell of a lot of heat. And the first and time... keeping it right in there. Oh, yeah, in okay. that nice little 40 to 45 yeah, zone. Okay. And the beer was almost literally broiling in the lines. Lines were never cleaned. Couplers were never cleaned. Taps were never cleaned. So you'd ask for a, a pint of Cooper's Pale, for instance, and they'd have to pour out 10 litres before they could pour you a pail, at which point it was clearly not worth drinking anyway. Lovely. Um, so before we opened the doors, we did close for three months to renovate and, and, and you know, rip the guts out of, of most things here. Um, before we reopened and a, a, a cold room was was a condition of us trading and we increased the two taps to six from memory and then pretty much every six months after that we were just adding taps to, to Lucky 13. But certainly uh, Little Creatures, um, uh, Pale, we are one of the first venues outside uh, Frio to have it on tap regularly, Mountain Goat Hightail uh, and then later the Shorefoot um, and 
James Squire Porter, I, I believe. In fact, for the first couple of years that we were kicking around, we were uh, selling more James Squire Porter than anywhere else in the country wow. other than the brew house. I remember like when I was coming <laughs> through uh, my early drinking days, that was one that I could get a six-pack of and I was like, wow, this is different. This is something different, yeah. Absolutely, and, and you know... And Coopers. So we'd pour the Coopers sparkling and, and, and stout, those classics and pale in the early days as well. So it was, you know, it was a, it was a decent lineup. It was a much better lineup than it would have been three or four years prior to that. Um, but clearly, light years away from where we are now. If I walked into a pub now and that was the lineup, I still wouldn't be too disappointed. Mm. Um, you know, that's, there's still beers that hold up now. So Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. You know. and there are a lot of pubs claiming to be, you know, craft beer venues with that kind of a lineup. So. And if that was your dream with this location, what did the punters think about it back in the day? Yeah, it was a bit of a challenge early days. So, um, it, you know, we're sort of a shithole pub in the western suburbs of Adelaide off the beaten track, so to speak. So you're not just going to walk past this place. You have you have to seek it out. You know? And it was so run down. Um, the previous publican would just not, not open uh, on a Saturday night if he didn't really feel like it. Punters would come into the pub, uh, not find him, uh, Get their own beers, leave money on the bar, and leave two hours later without actually having made any contact with the with with the, with, with the publican who what was meant to be looking after the place. So <laughs> just coming yeah, the next day, and yeah. the money is just there. Sure, it's just there. It's, it's, it's a miracle. The only, the only phone on the premises was a blue phone, so a pay phone, and that was on the other side of the door. Uh, that was ripped off the wall regularly, apparently, and people would hop foot up, up the road. So he used to conduct what business he did through the pay phone. Um, and then, of course, there's the pool table. So the, the pool table, classic old-school pub, pool table darts, no worries. And the pool table was in the room we euphemistically refer to as the dining room, which is a ridiculous room for a pool table. It's a thoroughfare, it's on the way to the beer garden, it just didn't make sense. It's not a, place, not a nice place to play pool, not a nice place to walk through people playing pool. So I just said, what, what the hell is the pool table doing in the dining room? And uh, a couple of people who used to work here said, no, no, Brownie moved the pool table into the, into the dining room from the front bar. Why? Because he used to sleep on the pool table. And he'd, he'd, he'd cuddle what little takings he had and he'd, he'd, he'd embrace them and sleep on the pool table. And looking at the stains on the pool table, we kind of gathered that's what he did do. Uh, and that the sun would hit him two hours earlier when the pool table was in the front bar in its present, present uh, location than in the dining room. So to give Brownie another couple of hours sleep, the pool table was moved I love this from guy. the front bar into the dining room. He's just working out everything he can to make his own life more comfortable. <laughs> what a hero. Absolutely. Where, and, and uh, so you know. whereabouts is the statue erected in his honour? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the weedy, isn't it? Okay. You know, so <laughs> yeah. He's got a you whole know. pub built yeah. and it was like, come Indeed. on. Indeed. Well, it was in, uh, in his family. So his, his parents were our former landlords. So his folks had run the pub uh, for 20 plus years and then... His dad's dad had run the pubs for the pub for twenty years before that, so it's only been in you know five or six different uh, different hands. Wow. This pub and three of them were in the one family. So it was originally built uh, by Dr. David David's grandfather, um, and it put Dr. David David, famous craniofacial surgeon, uh, through university. And he still pops in every now and then. Really? And, you know, yeah, indeed. Excellent. What indeed. does he drink? Uh, it's stout. He's a stout man, so he'll, he'll have a butcher of stout. Yeah, now very that, South Australian thing. That kind of speaks to a theory that we've kind of half cooked up over this day that we've been here. Um, uh, an eighth cooked up, yeah. maximum. <laughs> um, not put much thought into it at all. That Adelaide seems to be more welcoming to darker beers. Mm. Uh, and we, and we kind of put that down to maybe Cooper's. And you, you mentioned Cooper's Stout earlier on. Cooper's Dark as well, perhaps. Yeah, Cooper's yeah. Dark. Um, Southwick Stout. 
Sorry? Southwark Stout. Yeah, cool. Another, so another to, would you, would you think that, you know, punters that come in that might not be familiar with, with craft beer are more willing to go for a darker beer? Is that your experience? Uh, generally, yes. There is a, an acceptance of darker beers, but not only of Thank you for saying yes. Of so that, that would beers, be terrible. You know? <laughs> you know, don't know <laughs> no, what your theory you're talking is. rubbish. Yeah. Um, uh, not only darker beers, but, but ales in general, shall we say. Like, clearly not all dark beers are ales, but, uh, and, I, and I think Coopers are to blame for that, which is an excellent thing. So uh, I think Coopers, Coopers began on the back of stout. It was seen as a restorative. It was, it was seen as medicinal. Uh, and something that I didn't realise, the beginning of my pub career, so to speak, um, uh, Coopers was on tap and it was ubiquitous, uh, but has apparently only been on tap in pubs since the early 80s. Up until that point, it was only available in, in bottle, and that was uh, in, in part due to the Coopers' fairly uh, conservative religious beliefs that pubs were not dens of iniquity and lots of nasty things happened in them. What is true? What an out, odd you know? like profession. To go into if that's what your philosophies are. It's a food. Beer is food. Beer is medicine. You know. Yeah. Which again, I don't, I don't think those dens of iniquity, beer is food and medicine. They're not. They're not incompatible ideas. You know? well, the, the, so the, eventually the, they came around. The Cooper story goes back to, I think, a medicinal story. Like yeah, literally. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, Thomas Cooper brewed it for. It was his his wife's recipe for stout, which he brewed because she was crook, and she said, "Listen, you need to brew my family's." stout for me because I'm not feeling very well which he did obviously did pretty well and then other friends and family said we want some of that too so I mean it, it, that clearly is one you know is is one element of it um you know a lot of lot, lot of English here you know and and stout and bigger darker beers and acceptance of ales um you'd like to think it's probably not the winters because we don't really have them so I mean I, I guess that's another another angle on it you could also argue water you know, and if you're going to, whether I'm entirely making this up, but certainly the Adelaide water profile suits brewing with dark beers, quite, you know, quite hard water, not as terrible as is, is made out, but you can, as a home brewer, you knock out a stout without, without tweaking the water at all, um, technically speaking. So, you know, that may be an element to it as well. Um, That's something that in our nine minutes of analysis we didn't come up with, the water profile. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah okay. Not quite Dublin-esque, yeah. but, you yeah. know, certainly, you know, there's that the, the whole Adelaide water quality argument, uh, you could argue, is you know, Adelaide water is well suited to uh, to brewing darker beers. You need to, you know, Now, as uh, drop let, the pH. let's skip forward 13 years in the future to, to the current day. Is Adelaide water suited to brewing uh, Blunevices? Or saisons, which is what you're brewing here now. <laughs> Indeed, I was uh, shit scared really of brewing a pilsner with Adelaide water. So that that you know is kind of uh, if you can brew a pilsner with your water, you can pretty much brew anything with your water. Oh, I get it. So the black pills has got no roasted malts. It's just Adelaide it's water just Adelaide pills, water, right? Yeah, straight okay, from, straight from the Murray. <laughs> a few cod wrapped up in there for good measure. Uh, fond of brewing with fish. Um, no, it's, it's, it's you, and you, the funny thing is, a lot of people are going to laugh at that comment, fond of brewing with fish, but you are yes. fond of brewing with fish, right? Indeed, and I, I didn't give you a taste, I'll give you one later, but um, uh, one of the beers in tank at the moment is the fourth in our anchovy series, so it's a lychee bianco, so it's a, a blonde anchovy beer. Um, the first beer we brewed with Leo from Biro del Borgo, so we, we only brew anchovy beers with Leo, it's a connection we have, um, was an anchovy stout, uh, Anchovia, our anchovia. Um, then we brewed uh, Ralkalichi, which is a smoked brown porter with with uh, first wort and whirlpool anchovy, uh, with magic rock stew and yeasty boy stew and Leo. And then last year we brewed um, a Lichi Nero, which is a black uh, anchovy goza. 
So we'd kind of gone through the salty, savoury styles and thought, well, you know, you know, we're running out of options. And we hadn't brewed anything blonde yet, which clearly needed to be done. Dark is kind of safe and is a good way of masking anchovy. Um, and to my knowledge, no one else had brewed uh, commercially with you, anchovy How did you guys like possibly for good reason. at anchovy as like a, uh, a common... Again, passion of you based guys. around a cheesy pun. So it, right. was, uh, it was a good beer week. So you and my anchovia. Okay. It, my anchovia. Yeah, our anchovia okay. yeah. My Antonia, my anchovia. Uh, talking to Kerry from Experience IT, talking about Beer del Borgo. And she said, listen, I'm gonna, next year, it was the first year of Good Beer Week. Mm-hmm. Next year, I'll bring Leo over and you guys should brew together. It's like, yeah, fantastic. Oh, I you think. Know. Did they tell this story on our show? Who? Kerry sure. and Leo. I think they've been on our show. Hopefully, hopefully. someone told this story on our show. I, don't I mean, think it was so. a private conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never understand. <laughs> like, hopefully, never they told the ro- hopefully, they told the same story. Right. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Kerry and I are having a discussion. So, well, what's, uh, what's Leo's region uh, in Italy? What's it renowned for? She said, well, chestnuts. like, no, nah, that's been done. And it's like, well, you know, olives. It's like, no, nah, that's been done as well and doesn't, not, doesn't interest me. And she said, well, anchovies. And I said, well, that ding, is ding, a ding, thing. Ding. And we were drinking yeah. my Antonia. So, clearly, my anchovia. Then it's like, shit, we have to design we'll a, a beer work, around yeah. anchovies. But oyster stout, anchovy stout was pretty safe. Smoke, roast, pretty safe. Goza, pretty safe. But this year we thought, no, 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 no. Of we're course, gonna, we're the, gonna, the, you know. anchovy Goza is a safe beer to brew. Of course, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Black, yeah. black anchovy <laughs> yeah. Goza with black lime as well. Because, um, you know, it's quite a popular ingredient these days. Yeah, hello um, little creatures and garage projects. Indeed, yeah. indeed. You know, just 18 months Pay your down respects, the track. Boys. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. Black lime <laughs> Goza at the Weedy 18 <laughs> months ago. Um, so this, this is almost, we call it, rather than a Burtonized, sort of Thebertonized um, IPA. like it. English style, we, we heavied up the water, um, which we didn't have to do too much being out like water, but we heavied up the water and then chuck anchovy in there. First wet anchovy, so whirlpool anchovy. What form are the anchovies? Are they like a fillet? Are they the. Where, where, where do they come from? White, well, yeah, in terms of uh, Elici Bianco, white fillet. So we got okay. the, the, the best quality white fillets oh, that we and could. I love those, I love those anchovies, oh. like white anchovies. And yeah. eating them out of the whirlpool, absolutely yeah. delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely bitter, uh, but absolutely mm-hmm. delicious. Uh, and they happened to come from Leo's father's town. So it was kind of, again, it, just, it was poetry. It was poetry. So Perfect. anchovy IPA, here, here we come. I'm kind of thinking, get some of them out of the whirlpool, some buttery toast, and I'd be a very happy person in front and of a, this fire over here. And a butcher of, you know, a lichinero, so a black anchovy goes on the side and you know, your job is, job is complete, you know. So the anchovy IPA, water profile-wise, pretty much sorted itself out and we had to heavy it up. Um, with Pilsner, we got, we, it, it came out okay. Adelaide water is actually not that bad. There's a fair whack of, you know, permanent, uh, temporary hardness rather, and low calcium, but we just uh, carbon filter, double carbon filter everything treat all of our processed water um, pH, so bring the pH down to six, uh, and then just mash salts accordingly and, and haven't had a problem. So I think Adelaide water does get a bad rap, you know, a little unnecessarily. Are you, so are you the head brewer as well now, or you have yes. someone else brewing? Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I've been brewing um, since the outset, so we've had lots of people brewing uh, with us. So we had Laura uh, Mersh, who I mentioned earlier, who used to brew at Stone and is also a winemaker, and she was fantastic early days just Bringing, uh, bringing me up to speed in terms of you know SOPs and all those production brewery processes uh, in a tiny little brew pub, which is exactly what we wanted um, and worked to treat. Um, all the collaborating brewers, I, I picked their brains mercilessly uh, about how they do things and why they do things, and that's been fantastic. Um, my assistant brewer, Dave, is helping out in the brew house as well, and Rosie, the malt wrangler. So there are, there are three of us who do it, but um, yeah, the brewer, it's, it's, it's all my fault. You know, anything goes wrong. <laughs> but when it's not the collaborator's fault, it's my fault. Yeah. How are you enjoying going from publican to brewer? 
absolutely love it. It's a, I call it a solitude and stainless. And you just sit out there in the brewery and you've got this nice big thick glass between you and the general public and people knock on the window and they wave and you knock and wave and pretend you can't hear and you just go back to your butterfly valves and, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Um, no, I really enjoy it. I mean, I, I've been working in pubs for 24 years and I clearly love that as well. Um, but there is something really nice about making something as opposed to creating a space and, and something, you know, less less tangible. At the end of the day's work to say, look, that, that I made that fermenter of beer. That's that's really lovely. And then clearly to follow that up, it's a lot more fun pouring your own beer than it is pouring, you know, anyone else's, to be honest. Getting and immediate feedback. Exactly from, right, yeah. yeah. And and good and bad. I mean it's 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 great to get it, you know, and and, Do you ever and get then feedback? being able to respond to that. Do you ever get feedback when people don't know that you brewed the beer and they say this is Shit. Absolutely, what they, yeah. yeah. Oh, what the fuck is that? What, what were they thinking? You know, uh, yeah, yeah, plenty of that. And often it's the, the the non-verbal feedback, which is the most instructive as well. So people keep buying something. Clearly, they're enjoying it. It's the faces they pull or don't pull, or the little you know comments they make. Um, What's the best reaction you've had? Oh, it's just been a, a good old school face scrunch, and you know. It, it, it tastes like anchovy, which clearly not the case at all, but they didn't know it was anchovy until they were told it was anchovy and then there was just this most remarkable face scrunch and, you know, that, that was pretty impressive. And it's yeah. not like you're brewing, um, you know, you're not, it's not like you come out with a pale and an IPA, you've got, as you said, anchovy beers. We had the blues... Blue stocking. Blue stocking so, with yeah. the, um, you know, flowers and it was purple. Yep. Um, Blackberry Saison. You've Misleading got a advertising. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I threw it back. <laughs> I'm know, like, nah. Yeah. It's this is blue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a range of kettle sours or Saisons that are probably pretty unusual to a lot of people, right? Yeah, to, to a degree. I mean, I, you know, some of the feedback we've, we've got early on is you need to brew more more interesting, challenging beers. So, you know, we... we brew irony which is one of my favorite beers of ours which is a fairly straight up uh, american style pale but with some of the new german hops so hallertau blanc and well Milan and a little bit of um, galaxy in there as well so pretty simple but but intriguing clean lean pale ale um and you know we were just getting pestered from the outset was, where's your ipa where's your double ipa where's your triple ipa where's your barrel aged imperial stout and, and and yada 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 but um you know i'm finding it uh, more challenging to brew as we were saying earlier you know a really well balanced, clean, simple beer at 4% than it is to brew a 6.5-7% IPA, which I also enjoy. Um, I mean, personally, the, the lagers and kettle sours, I'd quite happily brew those day in, day out. You know, I think they're a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, we're getting... Uh, I guess the thing I enjoy most about the pub is that it, it, it's a pub. It's a public house, so anyone can and anyone does walk through the doors. And as I was saying, oh, you can effectively ambush people you know, with the beer that we have on tap. And people had no intention of trying something interesting or something with butterfly pea flowers or anchovy in it. I end up having a fancy of something with butterfly pea flowers in it. And, and clearly they're not always going to like it, but when they do, they go, wow, okay, that's, that's really cool. I wasn't expecting that. So we're not just um, uh, lubricating a beer crowd, so to speak. It's, it's people coming here for music, people coming here for, you know, knitting conventions and roller derby after parties that, that you know, we're swinging beers as well and, and getting you know, their response and their reaction and, and when they get excited about beer, that's that's uh, fantastic. And I think I now understand when brewers get that buzz, you know, something that started out as a just a concept, an idea for a beer or a cheesy pun, which is often the case with our beers, <laughs> starts as a, a ridiculous cheesy pun, then you develop a recipe and then you brew it and then you serve it and you give it a name and you give it a decal design and it becomes a thing and then people start asking for that thing which didn't exist four weeks earlier. That's kind of cool. And I, I can't imagine ever growing tired of that side of it, you know. 
Um, and you guys are community minded. Like that's you've mentioned, you know, knitting groups, um, roller derby. Like it's all it's all part of the wheat sheaf, right? Like mm. the community is important to you guys. Absolutely, and 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 other groups besides that, we a climbing club that we that we sponsor, and then once a year we'll we'll brew with a you know maybe half a dozen of of, of the climbers, and we'll you know we'll have a chat about a beer that we're going to develop together, and then they'll rock up for brew day, and then we'll have some kind of you know launch event here with Karma Kegs involved often. Um, Adelaide Roller Derby been sponsors of the league since their inception and we'll brew with them in addition to brewing with them for International Women's Day. Uh, we'll brew a beer for them, Booty Blocker Brown or Rink Rash Red, which will launch at their grand final after party. Um, we have, you know, all, all sorts of groups that meet here, uh, ukulele collectives and, you know, all sorts of reprobates. Uh, and, and that's that's the beautiful thing about it as well. It's just, it's, it's a mixed bag of um, misfits and, and, and nutters and... It's what a pub should be, right? Exactly like right. Exactly right. Misfits and nutters and, and the community. And a lovely like. sense of community. Yeah, absolutely. And we've certainly felt that, um, you know, over the last three weeks. Um, you know, we've had a pretty pretty tough time of things. Yeah, and we should the community's sort of been extraordinary. acknowledge that. Um, so there was a tough time recently with the, the Weedy. Mm. Can you sort of tell Alison yeah, about Yeah, well one that? of um, our founding members and dear friend Emily Trot uh, died of cancer. And she'd been crook um, uh, a couple of years ago and then had a year, a decent year, year, year in remission and then... Um, from time of re-diagnosis to, to being, you know, the former trot um, was only a matter of a couple of months, really, and that was, that, you know, hit us all pretty hard. Um, and she, you know, Trotty was one of the founding members, and there's a lot of trot in the Weedy. Um, certainly there's the trot aesthetic, you know, she was from an art, art background, and uh, the font, the trot font on our website and the, all the design stuff. So she did the type type and everything? It's known as trot font. So right. it's, it's M's or eat rot font, technically speaking. <laughs> Which <laughs> is her roller derby name, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Emily Ann trot, trot font um, for all of our artwork and posters and so on. Um, oh, you're rudely getting called there, aren't you? Deny, yeah. Eat rot, Good sort one. that out. Uh-huh. Uh, and the blackboards and, you know, and just, you know, big on Atmos. Trotty was big on Atmos, so it's all lighting and, and, and so on. And... and uh, also wine. I mean, she came from a wine background as well, so a lot of the, you know, all of our, our wine um, really is, is, is Trotty's influence and work. And live music. She would play, it was a musician herself. I was involved in bands that played here and was always really keen to, to get the live music side of things happening. Um, so, yeah, a big, big hole in the Weedy. Um, the Weedy will certainly never be the same without her, but, she, you know, she'll always be a part of it and we'll, you know, Kick on with the weedy in the way that she would have um, she would have liked and you know honour in that in that regard. But it's been a, you know really tough time. But the flip side is the extraordinary community support that we've had. You know it's been you know a source of, of strength and and resolve for us. You know because there's always that element of well, what are we doing? Are we still going to keep doing this? It doesn't you know does it feel right still doing this with a third of us um, you know out of action? Um, and the answer to that is yeah, you become aware how much this place means to how many people uh, and that's it is a beautiful thing we've created something uh, much bigger than ourselves which has a life of its own and you know that that's a wonderful thing so yeah we'll be kicking on for for quite some time yet there's unfinished business at the weedy you know <laughs> so what's the uh what's the long term then if that's the unfinished business or what, what is the unfinished business yeah well i guess you know certainly brewery wise there are still plenty of beers to be brewed and you know recipes to be toyed with collaborations to be had um a still, I think we certainly need a still. We need to get we need to get whiskey on the menu. We need to muck around with that. Your own whiskey on the menu. Well, yeah. naturally, yeah. You know, we've done some independent bottlings and all that kind of stuff. But I think you know clearly need our own our own whiskey made from scratch. Um, we are getting more and more mobile, so. 
Trotty, uh, it was actually Trotty's, Trotty's project, um, uh, was to source a perfect van for the Weedy Brewing Corps. And she did. So she found a, I'll show you a picture, again, perfect for radio, um, a Citroen H van. So it's this fantastic 1978 Citroen H van, La Cochon, the, the French call it, pig nose, just characterful, perfect little truck, uh, which, which thankfully arrived three weeks before Trotty died. And so she got to have a look at it and said, right, you need to get that on the road. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, we will. <laughs> on it. Uh, and fill it full of weedy brewing called beers. So we're going to get out and about in that. We're also going to incorporate that into our beer garden as a second bar. So it's either going to be out, out and about or it's going to be part of the bar. Um, and we have a double batch fermenter uh, on the way. So we'll start cranking out some, some more of our own beers and be able to play more. Barrel program. Uh, yeah, plenty, plenty of fun to be had there. fun, yeah. Yeah, so th- these are all un- unfinished projects. And, you know, within the next sort of year or two, like to sort of very much head down head down the path of those uh, and then who knows you know I think I think you know we're going to be here for some time yet um, but as these things do you know clearly they bring everything into perspective and you know sort of cause you to uh, reassess your own life and what's important what isn't you know but the, the, the weedy is still you know front and center uh, for Liz and myself at least for the you know the next five to ten years I would imagine the weed is important to you, then. Obviously, it's uh, it's your life, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, yeah, you don't get into running a pub as a as a job. It's a it's a it's a way of life. Yeah. So, it's it's long hours and it's it's taxing, and you're here every day, and you know it takes it takes a lot out of you. Um, but at the same time, it, it gives at least that much back. You know, and it is absolutely a way of life. And when you get to do such, you know, beautifully self indulgent things as open a, a brewery. Does it get any better? <laughs> yeah. Let's get a brewery. Okay, let's get a brewery. But you need to brew this beer. This. Yeah, sure, we'll brew that beer, that beer, that beer. Uh, and as long as we can brew those beers and as long as they're good enough that people drink them and continue to keep drinking them, then you know we can do that. And there, there is that element of being uh, totally responsible for your own, you know, for, for your own fate, so to speak. You know, you rise and fall on, you know, on, on your own decisions and when you get it right, it's, it's fantastic. And if you don't, you cop it. And I, I honestly think I'm unemployable now. I think I'm <laughs> so used to doing my own thing in my own way um, that I'd struggle, you know, in any, in any other kind of context, which has probably got a bit to do with why we're still doing this because I can't conceive of really doing anything else in any other way other than our own way. Um, Fortunately, and, you've you know, got a bar in a brewery then that you... Well, in, indeed, and, and they're the kind of working... still as well. They're so, working yeah. well enough that, you know, there are enough other people out there who, who, who dig it as well. And as long as that's the case, then, um, you know, continue to have fun and, and support, support our habits, essentially, which is what it's about. It was always about creating the kind of pub that we would like to drink in. The brewery was about brewing the kind of beers that, that we'd like to drink and just hope there are enough other people who thought otherwise and... Thankfully, there are, at least to date. So as long as that continues to be the case and as long as we still, you know, love doing it, then we're still going to be here. Um, it'd almost be remiss of us to, to not talk about the story you told us earlier of the, the four tradies that, that drink here. Um, and they, they came in... Sort and of a classic story of any good beer, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's an it's interesting story to, to hear of, of a place like this. Um, so you've got customers that came in, they weren't... I guess, big beer fans. Um, can you tell us about those guys? Sure. The, the story that uh, warms the cockles of my heart. It's four great big tradies, you know, 120 kilos each and high-vis steel caps, pretty gruff kind of fellas. And they originally came into the, the pub because we were a pub and we served beer. Uh, and they had their Cooper's Pale and we had a bit of a chat to them and, you know, polite enough guys. Wasn't a lot of love. Uh, they came back the next Friday, 
coax them into Little Creatures Pale Ale and initially same deal as what this, what's this fruity shit, you know, it's too sweet, what are these hop things? And then over time we just kept slowly working on them and, and they became more and more comfortable in the pub and uh, in, with our group of misfits and, and started really digging the beers and graduated soon enough from you know, Little Creatures to Rogue Yellow Snow IPA when, when that was a thing of great excitement uh, and then just absolutely blossomed into, into hop fiends and, you know, IPA nuts. Uh, to the point where they're now completely, uh, you know, relaxed and, and, and natural way. We'll sit at the end of the bar and have discussions, quite technical discussions about the use of Simcoe in IPAs and whether, you know, low cohumulone or high cohumulone, whether, whether that's a thing. Um, first work hopping, does that make any difference to the nature of bitterness, whether they prefer, you know, flame out, hop back, dry hop, etc., etc. Uh, and they have some of the best hop palettes in the pub. And yet, you know... It, the, the flip side is I know they'd walk into many bars and they wouldn't be given the time of day. They'd just be shown the, the Cooper's Pale or whatever and told to sit in the corner and change their boots and their high vis. But they come here and engaged with and they have excellent palates. They love beer and they have been coming here every Friday for 12 years now and some of our best best beer customers and they're, they're now absolutely part of the, the, the weedy community. You know? Fantastic. And it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And you mentioned that... Um you know, the, the education around hops and everything like that is, it's so important. And I, I was saying to you earlier when I first came in here and I can't remember what beer I got, but uh, the person that served me said, you know, this is a, a beer with this hop and this malt. And I, I didn't ask and they just, as they presented it, this is what this beer is. And I don't think I've ever had that in any other bar. And it was normally you get, before you get the beer, oh, you sure you want to get that? It's got this and this. But here I got... Here's the beer, yeah. and this is why it's Just, good. Here's a little nugget for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's and like straight away it set this this place apart for me. It's like, oh, this is really interesting. And and I guess are your staff sort of, you know, they love beer as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to varying degrees, uh, uh, we employ nerds of of whatever description. So as long as they're they're mad keen about something, then you know we can bring them around to beer. Some is that, is that the first interview question? Are you mad are keen you, about uh, something? Something. What's you? <laughs> what are you? Totally single-mindedly obsessed with, can be you know to a degree can be transferred to beer, uh, not just beer, whiskey and wine as well. We expect to have a you know good working knowledge of uh, live music. There's a lot of musicians who work behind the bar here. Um, people are into you know art in various forms. People who want to make beer for a living. Uh, people who are at university, all sorts of gear. But as long as they're in, you know dead keen into something, We've got an archaeologist with us at the moment, which is fantastic. And, and you know that that kind of stuff is just you know is, is priceless. But I, same deal. I think as much as a, a pub is healthy when it's diverse, it needs to be diverse both sides of the bar. You know, and I think you know it, as long as they have the same kind of philosophy and ethos of what a good pub looks like and is is friendly and open, um, and anyone's welcome. As long as, as long as you behave yourself when you're here, you know, effectively anyone's welcome as long as you're not a dickhead. And it doesn't matter what you, you know, what you're wearing, what you look like, who you are. If you, if you're gonna, you know, you're gonna play well with others, more than welcome. If you're not, we don't care who you are. You can get out of here. Life's too short for dickheads, you know. And that the longer I stay in pubs, the more I think that and know that. Um, and the bunters who drink here know that too. And if they don't, they deselect themselves pretty damn quickly, you know. And, you know, with with these. With these guys, our tradies on Friday, you know, they um, know that they would not be given the time of day in a lot of pubs. And you know, something that we are really big on is 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 do not never underestimate the customer. You never know who you're dealing with to begin with. You know, most of us behind bars learnt that pretty quickly. You know, 
uh, that you you know you, you think you've got someone's measure and you really have no idea who you're dealing with. So respect straight up, and and assume that people do want to know about something rather than that they don't. And if they don't, that's fine too. You, they can just you know go and have whatever they're having and that's fine. But but kind of engage. Assume that they do want to know a little bit, and most people do. You know, most people have a genuine interest in, in, in what's going on and, and just share a bit of that and then know when to shut up at the same time. You know, and if people really aren't interested, just that's fine. That's, that, that's no worries at all. If they are interested, engage because that's a, that's a big part of it. Yeah. So you're in Thebiton, which is like a inner west suburb of Adelaide. For this amount of time, how has the demographic changed over the years? Yeah, significantly. Yeah. So, you know, when we first took the pub over, it was, over, it was very much um, working class, industrial slash light industrial suburb um, and a little bit of housing, uh, but not much else, very little business. Uh, and that has changed significantly. So a lot of development, a lot of the old, old houses have been knocked down, a lot of housing trust places have been knocked down. Um, a few halfway houses have been taken out few still around so you know it's pretty still reasonably mixed um but certainly gentrifying at a rate of knots which you know has its benefits and and, sure. and but you I know, losing a bit of you character must have at the same been time uh, ahead of the curve though right yeah well certainly it was certainly you know a little little bit rough when 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 we took it over i mean the even the tram so the the, the tram line that went in you know four or five years ago made an enormous difference in terms of accessibility even though adelaide is such a, a small city and you know very easy to get around um there was kind of that that uh, west terrace that was the line that you didn't cross and no one would cross town to go out but as soon as you put the tram in there, free tram and a quick tram, and they just get dropped off on Port Road and that's a two-minute walk to the Weedy, it really seemed to open it up. It was kind of like, you know, railway to the Wild West or something. It was, it, was, it was quite ridiculous, given that we're five minutes from the CBD. Public transport's so important, It certainly right? is, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. There's, there's a bus stop right outside the, the pub, literally. But, yeah, public transport has always uh, been a struggle in, in Adelaide, certainly bus-wise. The tram has, in all seriousness, been a fantastic thing. And it's free, so you can literally just jump up there straight through town, and and it makes a big difference. But yeah, psychologically, there's that kind of West Terrace, never never cross it kind of thing. So when, as soon as that line went in, say five years ago, that made it did really open up the western suburbs, and and then obviously people being priced out of other other suburbs, so they started to look here, and there's some fantastic old character houses. Same process of gentrification, kind of as everywhere else. But yeah, it was a significantly rougher early days. Yeah. So. <coughs> Maybe one of the first, if not the first, craft beer pub in Australia. Things have changed over the years in terms of craft beer acceptance, and, and Adelaide especially has got so many great breweries. Mm. Are you, for you, what's the biggest, um, what's the most exciting thing you've seen happen in this recent times? Well, I guess it's, it's going mainstream, so it, it took a long time. I think <clears throat> Cooper's kind of a double-edged sword in South Australia. Um, we've never had it as bad as anyone else. We could always get ales, we could always get stouts and sparkling and something called pale ale. Um, and so we never had it as bad. We could go into any any kind of suburban or country or city pub and you could always get a Cooper's. So you, you weren't, you know, destined to an appalling industrial lager. Um, the flip side of that, though, is we never had it as bad as anyone else. So there wasn't the same drive for craft breweries. And kind of had that medium where that the balance was already there. You didn't need to exactly. go exactly, and it's like, well, right? but we've already got flavour some ales, and we, we're, we're used to drinking beers you can't see through, and that are bottle conditioned, all that kind of stuff that all these craft brewers are talking about. South Australia's been doing for 140, 50 years, whatever. Um, so that that was an element to it. There wasn't the same driver. Um, 
and also Cooper's managed to get into people's heads. So the, the whole concept of a pail that wasn't Cooper's pail was something most people just did not get. And certainly early days, we're literally dragging people kicking and screaming into into hoppy beers uh, and pale owls. So we, we would have, say, Creature's Pail and Cooper's Pail on tap. People would walk in, say, I'll have a pail. We'd say, which one? There's only one. The number of times we would hear, there's only one, uh, until it got to the point where we took Cooper's Pail off tap. So it was like, right, yeah, there is only one on tap. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not Cooper's. And it was, all, it was, it was, uh, it was seen as uh, un-South Australian to drink anything other than Cooper's Pail. And there was you know, real parochialism around Cooper's, a certain pride in Cooper's, and I think deservedly so. Uh, but again, the flip side of that was this real parochialism. So anything that, that came from interstate was seen as beer from interstate. And so why would I drink that when I can drink Cooper's Pale? Then other local breweries started coming out. So Lobethal Beer House you know, was, was, was one of the first to produce really consistently excellent beers. Brew Boy is the same. Once you could say, well, actually, there is another South Australian brewery and we've got them on tap. Then that sort of knee-jerk reaction uh, we removed. So that's no longer a valid argument to say that you want to drink South Australian because this is South Australian too, so how about you give it a go? And you know, even even then there were people who would say no to free beer, which is something that still confounds me. But you'd, you'd get people saying no to free beer because they just know I drink Coopers, that's who I am. It was like this big identity thing. Um, and that's slowly been eroded clearly and now you're getting uh, mainstream venues, mainstream pubs, uh, pokey pubs who are pouring really good beer and I think that's you know that's an excellent thing so it's now much easier to get good beer uh, more widely and I think that's good for everyone it keeps everyone on their toes um, and certainly I mean while it was always our plan to put a brewery in here um, for me it's kind of the end game it's great to source everyone else's beers and it, you know we've had 13 good years doing that but it's Im- more important I think to walk the walk and I think for us to have that ability to continually evolve so whereas 13 years ago, certainly in South Australia, there was very little competition. If we wanted a keg of uh, Mikula, for instance, no one else was saying, but I want that keg and it's my turn. Um, now things have changed, you know. And whereas early days there wasn't much happening, you know, 13 years ago there wasn't much happening in Melbourne either, um, or let alone Sydney. And, you know, there'd only be half a dozen of us who, who would be interested in these kind of beers. Now everyone is, and now everyone gets them. And again, that's fine and that's good, but... I don't want to play that game anymore. You know, I'm, I'm more interested in saying, well, all right, instead of trying to, you know, convince a distributor that, that, you know, we should be the ones to get this keg on this occasion, how about we just brew it ourselves or brew something similar or brew something inspired by it or brew something totally unrelated but is something we've been thinking about for many, many years. So, again, sort of to be in control of our own, you know, our, our own beer destiny is a beautiful thing um, and a self-evident thing for any brewer out there. Clearly they're going, yeah, of course, <laughs> that's why we brew our own beer. Um but that combination of a beer bar that is now making its own beer on site, um, fast and light, I call it to use, you know, sort of hiking terminology. So you just, you, we can have a chat about a beer, develop a recipe, brew it tomorrow and drink it in four weeks. Very few places have that kind of flexibility and are that nimble. And for us, that's our strength. You know, that's, that's what we can do. If we've got a brewer coming to town, uh, there aren't too many brewers who don't also want to brew, have a, a tasting or a tap takeover or whatever. There aren't too many who don't also want to brew. And then have an excuse to come back here in four, six, eight, twelve weeks later, and say, so, "Well, that's the only twelve kegs of that beer on the face of the earth," and that's that's a pretty special thing, I think, and something that, to me, represents the next phase. And I think there are going to be a lot more brew pubs, and we're going to see a lot more established beer venues that start brewing their own beer, either directly or under license, because that seems a pretty self-evident way to head. I think you know there are breweries opening bars and now there are bars opening breweries and I think more and more there's going to be a confluence of those of those two things um, uh, and we were pretty keen to, to, to get on that pretty quickly. You mentioned that the brewery was uh, always 
part of the plan. When mm. did that like become a reality, like as a future plan? Serious. Well, I mean, from the beginning, it was always talk. So I mean, I've been a home brewer for since uni days. So you know, twenty four years or whatever. Um, mm, as soon as we bought the pub, I stopped home brewing because I was working hundred hour weeks and had no energy or inclination to home brew. And then it was about five years ago. Um, said right, well, this we've talked about putting a brewery in. Um, let's really start thinking about it. So I started brewing again. Um, got a little 50-litre pilot kit and started really cranking out some, you know, some test batches and thinking seriously about recipe formulation and basically dusting off the textbooks. Um, and then planning started four years ago in earnest. And then it was like, right, okay, let's let's actually do this. Let's start getting some quotes on systems and work out where we're going to put it and see how much is involved and, and how it's all going to fit together. Uh, but it was a solid two years in, in planning. Um, by design and, and by default and you know there were delays that were entirely you know beyond our control um which i'm sure every brewery experiences one form or another um but you know lo- lots of new and interesting ways to delay things uh but a solid two years and then in july uh this year we turned two in terms of having served our own beers so oh, good have you got anything planned for the celebration uh that was one of one of two occasions we do a, a total takeover of our own beers so normally we'll just pour uh, six so we'll take over a font uh, for our birthday the pub's birthday and then for the brewery's birthday we do a full lucky 13 so we'll have 13 of our beers on tap and uh, we release our good beer weedy collaborations on that birthday as well so there'll be three brand spanking new beers uh, including our anchovy ipa um, and then a, a, a salty plum saison that we brewed with doc uh, and liberty joe and an East Coast IPA we brew with Modus Operandi and Tom from Fixation. So three pretty exciting collaborations and we'll be launching those on the day. If you, if you had uh, one lesson that you've learned uh, for someone that was about to undertake either a bar or a brewery, what would it be for you? Brewery-wise, um, pretty much what everyone says, do your research. You know, do your research and do more than what you think is a reasonable amount of research on floors and brewery floors. You never spend too much time on a brewery floor. Get it right and it'll be a thing of great, of great beauty and joy for the rest of your brewing career. Um, and that's certainly you know, something I don't regret doing is spending far too much of my life looking at brewery floors and strip drains and sump pumps and IBCs. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's where the glamour's at and enjoy every minute of it. It's where uh, the glamour's <laughs> at. No one's ever said that to us. <laughs> it is a, it's a stainless strip drain. I mean, did you see the strip drain? Um, a thing of great beauty. Uh, but it, it is, I guess, uh, and that, as a home brewer, that has been an inter- interesting aspect because as a home brewer, I was more interested in recipe formulation and cheesy puns and, and that sort of creative side of things. I guess, even though it's a very small brewery, uh, it's more about process. And certainly I felt that that's the area which I needed to scrub up on pretty damn quickly um, and, and scale up. You know, and the improved control is just phenomenal in a, in, in a, in a brew pub setup as opposed to a home brew setup. Uh, but with that comes lots of responsibility and an opportunity to fuck things up as well. So um, process, I, I guess, just don't underestimate that. Don't Never underestimate how much work it's going to be. Um, bar-wise, same deal. Do your research don't get into it for the lifestyle you know it's not it's not it's not just a job it's not just a, a cruisy social way to pass the time and, and some money it's a, it is a way of life more than just a lifestyle thing um and do your research be prepared to work really bloody hard and do a lot of the stuff back a house that you don't see the the best venues out there look like they run themselves they don't there's so much work that goes behind, goes in behind the scenes to make it look like it's effortless, uh, and that's where the art and the science is. Um, 
and all that stuff, you know, your, your beer dispensing equipment, cold chain, product quality, all that kind of stuff. Staff training is absolutely essential and there are plenty of places opening up at the moment that aren't necessarily giving that enough, in my opinion, enough, um, enough thought or enough uh, attention. Because uh, in one sense, anyone can open a bar. And certainly with licensing these days, anyone can open a bar. But there's a lot of that stuff that gets overlooked. Um, and hospitality as well. It's the hospitality industry, you know. And there is, again, an art and a science to hospitality that, you know, you've got you to take the time to learn. Of all of your histor- uh, history of home brewing, what was the best beer that ever turned out? Best beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably a, probably a Russian Imperial Stout. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Do you and have any uh, plans to um, translate that to the bar? Of sorts. Um, I mean, this is this is you know uni days home brewing, and uh, and it was it was a pretty stonking Russian imperial that sort of came you know came good after three years. You know, when it was young, it was horrendous, totally unbalanced and harsh. But after three years, beautiful, fantastic, beautiful. Um, biggest disaster homebrew wise was at my first attempt at an Alaskan smoked porter, which was the beer that changed my life. And this is before smoked malts were available. Um, commercially, so I tried to smoke my own malt in Dad's fish smoker, and uh, <laughs> it didn't. It didn't go well. I brewed with it uh, anyway. The smoked malt. It's kind of tasted okay as is. Uh, in the beer, it, distinct notes of ashtray. I like that uh, fish is still a running theme through the really is, your brewing yeah. experience. And fish why not? Yeah. yeah. Why not? There's not 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 enough fish in brewing. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But this, uh, the, the, the Alaskan smoked porter had more notes of, uh, of ashtray and burnt rubber than, uh, than, than fish, unfortunately. Yeah. Have you managed to pull off the Alaskan smoked porter yet? I haven't tried it since, actually. So uh, it's certainly on the radar. You know, very keen to brew a smoked porter and, and, and <laughs> with a little less ashtray influence. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't have any more questions, Wait, Dave. You good, yeah. Jade, thank you so much for your time. Um, we really appreciate it. Yeah, this has been an excellent chat and... Um, yeah, we love coming to the Weedy. Absolute thank pleasure. You the, thank you for the sponsorship. It's a, a big help to the website. Absolute pleasure and lovely to have you both here finally. Yeah.